Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We are joined now by Speaker of the House, Matt Ritter, who has proposed a bill that I understand will change somewhat the definition of CGS, Connecticut General Statutes 11G, which is a critically important little statute because on that definition of what it means to be somebody with a developmental disability, we have tied it to the IQ of 69 or under. And because we have tied it to that IQ of 69 or under, it has adversely impacted many families with children and young adults with the diagnosis of primarily autism, who for whatever reason do not fit into that IQ, oftentimes because they cannot get an accurate assessment of an IQ. Uh, Matt Ritter, Speaker Ritter, thank you so much for coming on today. When I saw this bill, I I really wanted to talk to you about it. In fact, let me just tell you right now, I might even want to testify about it. So thank you very much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure, Lisa. Nice to be with you again. Nice to be with you too. I'm so delighted that you're focusing on something that's been so frustrating for me in my own other world, you know, in the legal world of things. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think the problem is right now and tell us how you propose to solve it? Yeah, I mean, the real issue has just been funding. I mean, there's other things that are going to be in the bill. You're going to need to have, you know, build more supportive housing long-term workers, recruiting and retaining workers in this space, right, like any industry right now. But the real crux of it has come down to resources and the legislature appropriating enough funds to really get rid of this waiting list that, that, you know, for services. And, you know, when I chaired public health in 2015 and 16 before becoming majority leader, I heard the stories back then. Um, and the hard part was we were looking at massive budget deficits. And so, you know, I'm not here to make excuses, but the state is, was not in a place that it felt or had the support to make the investments necessary to, to tackle this issue. I think this is the year that we can do it. Um, we can begin to staff up and we can really. So I think what you're going to see in the coming weeks is a bipartisan bill. I suspect it will pass 187 to zero, if I had to guess. Um, maybe, maybe you get a one or two no's for various reasons. But just like the children's mental health bill we did last year, I have you know, four Republicans, four Democrats working daily on this. 
meeting with all kinds of experts, um, families, commissioners, and you're going to see a very robust bill that I think will be a game changer for a lot of families that you mentioned, you know, in the conversation you just talked about. So, and let's just let's just bring it down to real, to, to what it is. So DDS, and I've spoken with the people there very often, they have a mission, and their mission is to take care of the 10,000 or so people that come under this definition of what we call in our statutes a developmental disability, which is tied to adaptive functioning being beyond two standard deviations from the norm and an IQ yep. of 69 or under. Okay. Yep. And if you don't fall within that, they say... I'm sorry, our budget is not for you. We can't serve you. You have to go into a different funding stream, which is DSS. And then these families call up DSS, and DSS tells them, I'm sorry, we have no money for you. So are you proposing that DDS, that their bailiwick be expanded to cover autistic kids, or are you proposing that DSS's budget be increased? In other words, where will these families go to get their services? Yeah, I don't. I, I want to let the the bipartisan group that's working all that figure some of that stuff out. I don't, I don't want to get ahead okay. of them, and they're okay. not ready to launch their bill. But let me say this: the reality is, it, it just as I said, it's going to be you know, working with both those agencies, they're both going to need additional funding to really tackle these issues. Um, I mean, to put it in perspective, it's probably seventy-five to one hundred million dollars to really tackle this. It's a, it's a large number, and so that should give people a, a sense of the scope. Uh, and the size of how of, of how much services are really needed out there right now. Yeah. And that's a year. That's per year, right? Correct. That would be on top of what we pay for now on an annual basis, correct? Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think people need to realize the families that we're talking about are struggling because they're living with young adults, and if there are no supports offered and they can't afford yep. much out-of-pocket – they're left with right. behavioral issues, developmental issues, all kinds of issues, which means that they can't go out into the working world and productively do what they need to do because they end up having to be babysitters for these individuals. They have no choice. That's right. So that's right. So when they age out of school, right, you, you hear the stories or you'll hear even more heartbreaking stories where parents don't know what's going to happen to their child when they die. Right. I mean, and, yeah. and so, you know, very concerned about that. And, um, you know, I, I guess I go back to there's this. Unfortunately, in this country, we sort of have come up with this notion of, well, sorry, that's your lot in life. You figure it out. And I I hate that. It really eats at me. I saw with the mental health problem last year when we tried to tackle that issue. America, you know, um, what makes our country great is we don't don't say that, right? America is not – can't solve – government can't solve every problem. At the end of the day, you know, we're not here to – we have to be humble enough to the government to understand that. You, there's always going to be issues out there. There's always going to be individuals that make poor choices, and you can't legislate all that away. But in something like this, which is is literally, you know, for for families, the heartbreaking reality of what they have to go through right now with not getting these services, to just say as a government, sorry, too expensive, it just eats at me. And you know, because it's not your family, you go about your life. But we all know families that have spent enormous amount of time wanting government to step in to help them assist them and their families this is the type of thing government should support we should fund our public schools right from kindergarten you know from pre-k through senior year in high school you know we should provide uh you know uh, medicaid and health care for those who need it so that they're not just going to our emergency rooms and if you can't provide supports and funding for 
for children with intellectual development disabilities, then what the hell do you have a government for? Mm-hmm. You know, at its core. So we got to get away from this. Well, that's not my problem. That's your problem. That's been such a common refrain, Congress in particular. In Connecticut, we don't, we don't do that. We sit down on a bipartisan basis. This bill literally has equal number of Democrats and Republicans work, working on it, typing it up, feel invested in this. Yeah. That's how you make lasting change and lasting impact for families, not by just saying, sorry, you figure it out, you know? Yes. No, I would agree. And I'll be very curious to see what they come up with, because I think structurally you have DDS uh, resisting any expansion of their mission without maybe adequate funding to go along. Maybe they would change their mind if they felt they had funding. But they have been in funding, many Lisa. different – That's what we're th- finding. It's all okay. funding. It's all we're funding. Really finding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they have been in many that's probate right. that, courts. That's the crux of it. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Speaker Ritter, just so you know, they have been in many probate courts arguing against uh, guardians, for example, arguing against tagging somebody with autism with a another label of having an intellectual disability as if they have some vested interest in that outcome. And my, my belief personally is that they don't, that they're a neutral party about this. They should have no vested interest in the outcome. But they're, within the organization of DDS, there's a lot of sturm und drang about this, just so you know. And you may already know. Yeah, yeah I've heard a lot of the stories. And I, I, I look, I, I don't think anybody goes in trying to, to do anything other than make their argument under the statute and what they've been tra- tasked with. But every person that I've talked to in state government, uh, whether it's on the record or off the record, says, look, it just comes down to resources. Mm-hmm. And so we need the resources to, to be able to do more and ramp up, and we'd love to. But that's the legislature. Right. We yeah. appropriate funds. The executive yes. branch doesn't appropriate funds. So it's our yes. job to solve it. And that's why we want to solve it in 2023. Well, I think it's I think it's really wonderful that you're taking a close look at it this year when we have a budget surplus where Governor Lamont announced yesterday that he's able to propose affording a reduction in income tax. I mean, it's good to be using the money in a worthwhile way. So uh, I really appreciate that. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Speaker Ritter, as long as I've got you on, is there anything else you want to tell us about some bills that you are getting behind that are very important for you to see past this, this session? Yeah, well, on Thursday, uh, we might be voting. Uh, tip my hand a little bit on uh, an emergency certified bill. And one of the key provisions of that is the bond covenants that have changed the state of Connecticut. Your listeners are going, what on earth is this guy talking about? In 2017, in a bipartisan budget, we basically said, look, we got to start prepaying our pensions. we got to fill up our rainy day fund. Uh, and so we took income tax revenue above what we had projected in the budget, 
and put it all towards the budget reserve fund, aka the rainy day fund, and to prepay pensions. Five years later, the rainy day fund's $3.3 billion. We've prepaid over $5 billion in pensions. Um, those changes expire, and we're going to recodify those, put them back into law oh. for another five or ten years. Oh, that's good. And the reason that's and, – and what does that have to do with the bill we just talked about? Government needs to have money in reserve because it's inevitable mm-hmm. that you will have downturns. Mm-hmm. So in 2010 when I was elected, and we were – you know, 2008 was the height of the recession. The rainy day fund was zero. On hyperbole, it, there wasn't a penny. If you had thrown a nickel in there, that would have been the only money in there. It's now up to $3.3 billion. You need a reserve fund, like a family needs a cushion, right, Sure. to get through good times and bad times. And so we're going to build that rainy day fund up to closer to $4 billion. Oh, you're going to change the us- amount. You're going to change the cap of it. Are you changing the cap? Correct. We're going to go. Oh. We're going to change the cap because we realize, it, you know, we don't know where this economy is headed. It's a very weird economy right now. Unemployment's under four percent. Right. Yet, you know, we're, we're seeing interest rates go sky high to, to tame inflation. It's a weird environment. So we want to be prepared for that. And if you're not prepared, you know what the first thing that happens is when you have a deficit, you're either cutting services, right, cutting very people we just talked about, or cutting mm-hmm. education funding, or you're left to raise revenue. That's all you're left with in government. It's yeah. cutting or raising revenue. So why don't we, when we have good times, put that money away for the rain day so that we don't have to make those difficult decisions, which we had to make from 2010 to 2015 constantly. And so does that mean you're raising it, you're raising the, is, are you raising the 15% or are you raising the dollar cap amount? What are you proposing to do? We will raise the percentage from 15 to 18. Okay. I see. Yep. And in that way, you raise the yep. amount of money that you can put in there. Well, I think that most most people who look at a state budget would be happy to see that. I mean, who wouldn't be happy to see that? It's a good idea. It's, it's, it, and we can do it this year because we're projected to have almost a $2 billion surplus. So you'd be, you're putting about $600 million more in the budget reserve fund, and you're still prepaying your pensions to the tune of $1.4, $1.5 billion. As I say to my caucus, you have the luxury to do both. Help yeah. people today and help future generations. What a rare ability to do. In so rare. Frankly. I mean, you have yeah. to have been around in 2010 to realize how rare it is. It's rare. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, yeah. and that's where a lot of these things just weren't happening, whether it was ECS or IDD issues, right? We just, the state didn't have the funding. It's not an excuse, but just people were so worried about just making, you know, the budget match up that it, large scale investments of this type were never contemplated, never talked about. And then you get into the culture of just let's just continue what we've done. And so a lot of what you're seeing over the next couple of years is some pretty innovative stuff that is long overdue. Yeah. Speaker Ritter, one of the things that I hear is that people are worried that this budget surplus was caused by the COVID federal dollars. How much of a piece of that is real, is true, that this was sort of a one-time infusion of money that we won't see again? Yeah, I mean, it plays some role, but let me give you some perspective, okay? The $4 billion rainy day fund I'm talking about doesn't have a dollar of federal funding. You have to spend federal funding by the fall of 2024, okay? So none okay. of the money in that rainy day fund is federal funding. So just that should give you a sense of okay. how, how much it's not a big part of that. Where you'll see it most impacted is on budget items that were paid for with COVID funding. So there are some places where we use COVID funding to supplant state funding. I would imagine that you will see that number of things that would be recurring costs as opposed to one time in nature. It's probably four to $500 million in the budget, if I had to guess. 
So if you're if you're wondering at home, most of the money was spent on one-time stuff, right? Okay. Um, and it's it's out the door. But there's probably about $500 million that the state has to decide whether they want a program to continue, they want to draw it back, or do we use now state fund to pay for it? So, yeah, I think that's a, it's, a, it's not an unfair criticism that there was some some government supplanting of funding. But in terms of the, the income tax revenues and the rainy day fund, that is completely unrelated to the federal funding. And so we are still – when I say we have a $2.2 billion surplus this year, that has nothing to, in income tax revenue. That has nothing to do with federal funding. Nothing. Okay. okay. So, okay. all right. So that's so. If you're relying on a program that may have had that one shot infusion, then you may have to get used to doing without it, unless the state figures out another way that it was so urgent that they have to keep at it. But otherwise, you may just yeah, have or, to get used to the fact that it goes away. I get it. Yeah. Or do more. You know. Or prepare for less funding. But we tried to be very clear in the budget for what we felt was a one-time program. We tried to differentiate where we could. And we, I think we tried to be very honest with you know, certain individuals, certain groups, that you're going to see a really large one-time infusion. You know, that's not an ongoing thing. And I, I think we'll, we'll be able to work through that. But, yeah, it will be a concern for some, no question about it. Well, Speaker Ritter, thank you very much for joining us. On behalf of the probate system, if I could just switch a little bit to my Westport Weston probate judge hat, I want to thank you and the legislature for consistent support of what we do because we really are where the rubber meets the road in terms of a lot of human services, and I appreciate your support. Uh, it's nice to be with you again, Lisa, and uh, I look forward to testifying on the bill. You bet. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.